Well, I was looking for some inspiration this Thanksgiving. It's only the 13th I've preached. <laughs> and I'm not quite sure how the folks who've been doing this for 30 years continue to find something new to say every year. Yet, many of them do. And I've often been encouraged to keep my sermons. Uh, Susan, did Peter keep his sermons? Did you end up with boxes and boxes of sermons? I have boxes and boxes of sermons. Very rarely do I go back to them. The idea is that the lectionary repeats itself every three years. So every three years, technically, I could bring out an old sermon and use it again. No need to recreate the wheel. No need to expend too much time and energy. And there's some truth there, because if you do good scholarly research in your preparation, then you really won't have to change much over the years. But the context is always changing. Our congregation looks very different today than it did last year. Am I right? Oh my gosh. <sighs> We are not the same people we were last year. There are different things happening in the world now than definitely than three years ago. Holy. The other messiness that gets in the way of reusing sermons is what the Holy Spirit brings. The Holy Spirit tends to bring messiness to our lives. Have you noticed that? We think we're plugging along just fine, and the Holy Spirit says, oh, I think there's an opportunity to learn here. There's an opportunity to grow here. A lot of messiness. The Bible is called a living book because the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and our minds anew every time we encounter the text especially if we change the context we're in when we engage that scripture. Reading by ourselves, like if we were to read the Psalms all by yourself, you have one experience. If you were in a great Catholic cathedral, hearing them sung in Latin, you have a very different experience reading them responsively from our hymnal is a little bit different. Studying them in a group where we get to hear all kinds of different perspectives on what we think the Psalms mean or how they relate to our lives. All of these things are, all of these contexts are beautiful in their own way and they provide us an opportunity for our spirits to encounter the holy in a different way every time we do it. So how can I possibly reuse a sermon? So I said I'm going to look for some inspiration. And the root word for inspiration is what? Inspire, which is what we, what we breathe, right? And that's also the same root word for the word Spirit. So when you're looking for inspiration, you're looking for the Holy Spirit. You're inviting the Holy Spirit to come in 
and have an encounter with you as close as your very breath. So I was looking for the Holy Spirit to move my heart, to offer a message that I could share with you. Ask and you shall receive. Seek on the internet and you shall find. <laughs> Christina and I used a worship series from the Salt Project for Lent. Do you remember that? Do you, what, was the, what was the theme? Van Gogh, yeah, we were using Van Gogh's art, right, to engage us and connect us to scripture in a new way. Well, we've also used the Salt Project's materials um, for our family ministries. They have these wonderful booklets that encourage family activities and coloring and crafts. Um, they're very, um, it's, a, it's a collective of artists who reflect theologically and use imagery um, to help that connection. So this is the Salt Project has become one of the places I turn when I'm looking for inspiration. And this time I found it on their blog. It's an essay titled A Brief Theology of Thanksgiving. And I thought I'd share with you some of what they explored, but mixed in there are some of my own reflections, especially on our scripture readings for this morning. So first, they started with the origins of our Thanksgiving holiday in the United States. What would I be if I didn't, or, you know, how would you know it were me up here if I didn't share with you some history? <laughs> some attribute the first Thanksgiving to the pilgrims in Massachusetts in 1621. But I'm not sure if that's right. Because there was also a celebration on the shores of Virginia in 1619. There was a Spanish gathering in what became Texas in 1598 and another in Florida in 1565. The reasons for those celebrations varied, of course. The English colonists in Virginia, for example, declared the day a commemoration of their arrival, thanking God for safe passage across a forbidding ocean. Likewise, the Spanish explorers thanked God for survival. On the other hand, after a 1637 massacre of Native Americans, the governor of Plymouth wrote that Thanksgiving days would be, quote, in honor of the bloody victory. In 1789, President George Washington declared a national day of thanksgiving to thank God for the birth of a new nation. And the current annual date in November, which, by the way, is far too late for a harvest festival in New England. Can we all agree on that? <laughs> Can you, does anyone know besides Steve when that was established? <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, gosh, said you get the gold star. 1863, explicitly giving thanks for the Union's military efforts in the Civil War. It had nothing to do with harvest. So the holiday we inherit is complex. It's a morally mixed amalgam of different kinds of gratitude for good harvest, for safe passage, 
for colonial conquest, for military victory, all of which only sharpens the question to us, how will we celebrate Thanksgiving today? Remembering this history of immigration and cross-cultural connection and conflict, we may give thanks for the dazzling diversity of this land, including and especially the Native American communities. Likewise, remembering the holiday's links to war, we may give thanks for times of peace and efforts at peacemaking in our homes, our hearts, our neighborhoods, and between nations. Remembering the holiday's links to creation, perhaps we give thanks for the planet's nourishing abundance. But there's perhaps no better day than Thanksgiving to reflect on the astounding power of gratitude itself. And accordingly, to commit ourselves to cultivating it more intentionally in the coming year. Gratitude is more than good manners shown in a perfunctory thank you note. It's a vital force in the world, a profoundly dignifying act that builds relationships, communities, and healthy human hearts. Now you know why I asked you if there's anything you were grateful for. Psalm 147 is all about this kind of gratitude. The Psalms brought people together, not only in temple worship, but in their daily lives. You see, back in the day, most early Hebrew people knew the Psalms by heart. They didn't have a Bible sitting at home to read. They taught each other the songs in the temple, around the campfire, while you were working in the field, you would sing songs to God. Just like we recite the 23rd Psalm on Good Shepherd Sunday or at funerals, they could recite all the psalms at appropriate life moments. Sometimes a psalm of thanksgiving would be sung at the most strangest times when the world seemed to be falling down around them when they didn't feel like they had much to be grateful for like when they were in exile and so they would sing the psalms connected their community with a common language a shared story and a common hope for the future when in exile, it rekindled their faith so that when it was time to return, they were ready to rebuild that temple and give glory to God instead of themselves. Their actual scientific studies, leave it to the psychology major, um, there are actual scientific studies on the power of gratitude Results show that gratitude leads to stronger relationships, better sleep. Does anyone have trouble sleeping? More patience. Does anyone have trouble with patience? <laughs> More perseverance. In Jesus' parable that Wendy read from the Gospel of Mark, this made me think of the seeds that Jesus was talking about. 
Seeds are in an inseparable relationship with the soil, the water, and the sun. Seeds needs, need to rest in a safe environment so that it can use the energy within it and around it to sprout and grow. It needs to be nurtured and loved. Every good gardener has learned the lessons of patience and perseverance. Am I right, Cindy and Gloria? Patience and perseverance. And there are other gardeners, good gardeners in here too, when it comes to seeds. Our Lord is not just a good shepherd, but also a very good gardener. And we give thanks by offering the fruits of that labor, a bountiful harvest, and planting more seeds as we share our stories of gratitude and love with others. The seeds of all of this food up here that's a healthy abundance, a bountiful harvest, and the planting of seeds in others. Studies also show that humans have a tendency to focus on the obstacles in our lives. Is that true for you? Yeah. And we often overlook the blessings. This imbalance can lead over time to feeling aggravated and resentful. As you've heard me say multiple times, you might be a bit tired of it by now, but oh well, you're stuck with me at least until June 30th. The Wesley brothers were all about balance, right? A balance of head and heart, of personal and social holiness, of works of mercy and personal spiritual discipline. So how do we keep the balance of attending to the obstacles in our lives, we can't ignore them, and rejoicing in the blessings? How do we note the headwinds that push against us and also mark the tailwinds that keep moving us forward anyway? One way is to simply acknowledge those blessings. Write them down. Watch your list expand. At first, it might be a challenge. I'm not a very good journaler. That's not one of my fortes. But as with any spiritual practice, with practice, you'll get better at it. And once you start noticing blessings, you'll see others that have gone unnoticed in your life, maybe for a very long time. Do you remember those thank you notes that your mother used to make you sit down and write after every birthday and every Christmas? I remember sitting at the dining room table and my hand would hurt. <laughs> I don't want to write anymore. And literally what it would start out, what it would become was, Dear Nana, thank you for the doll. Thank you for the blah. Thank you for the love, Angela. Right? Like there was no real heart in there. <laughs> Maybe you had to do one after your wedding or baby showers. You know, I always love when at a baby shower, there's that one person who's responsible for writing everything down and who gave you what, because when you go to write those notes, whew, what a lifesaver. Well, mother was not wrong. 
Writing a letter of thanks to a friend, a family member, an acquaintance, or even a stranger can change your life. We should reconceive that humble thank you note, not merely as a way to inform others about how grateful we are, but also as a way to help strengthen how grateful we are in the first place. I must admit, I brag about you all sometimes, especially to my colleagues, because never have I ever received as many thank you notes from a congregation as I do from you. And they're not just simple thank yous, they're thoughtful. You put in there exactly what I've done that you're so grateful for. Because a lot of times, honestly, someone will say, thank you so much for all you do. And I think, what have I done? And I need you to list it out, spell it out for me. Because then I want to do that more. (laughs) And it helps me to grow. I will tell you, bluntly, there are very few communities that share this practice with you. So many pastors go so many years with not having collected as many thank you notes as I've received in the last three. And you have rubbed off on me because now I write thank you notes more than ever. And you can bet that if my Nana were still here, she would get much more than a rundown of what she'd given me for stuff. I send them to my best friend on a whimsical card just to let her know that I love her and I'm thinking of her and I appreciate her friendship. I hand deliver them to our leaders at the end of every year. Spoiler alert, Doug, this is your first year with me. And I try to personalize them so that they get to hear the gifts I see in them and appreciate about them. A third way to grow in our gratitude, and honestly, sometimes a downright fun way, is to connect with someone on a regular basis, maybe once a week over a cup of coffee or by phone, online, or maybe take a walk and intentionally devote part of your conversation to sharing what you're thankful for that week, in that moment. When it comes to gratitude, sometimes just saying it out loud to someone we like and respect, and not to mention hearing what they're thankful for, is a powerful step toward noticing and thereby more deeply experiencing the blessings in our lives. And often I find when I do that with someone, they'll say, oh, I'm thankful for this. And I'll say, oh, yeah, that reminds me. This happened. I'm so glad. Sometimes at the end of our meetings, when we've spoken a whole lot of words and there aren't a lot left for a prayer at the end, We've gone around the table or the Zoom room and shared our gratitude with one another. It has helped us build connection in the teams 
And it strengthened our friendships outside the work we do for the church and the community. And maybe that's the best and most powerful way to practice the art of gratitude in prayer. Prayer is a kind of spoken gratitude journal, an intimate thank you note or thankful conversation with God. And so is worship. Worship is an elaborate exercise for cultivating thanks and praise, for planting seeds and watching them grow. And at its best, the result is a cinnamon bun swirl of palpable tailwinds, amazement, and delight. And so is the Eucharist. That word comes from the Greek to literally means thanksgiving. The Lord's Supper, the communion meal, gathered around a table of bounty, remembering an old, old story, giving thanks to God for safe passage, for life, for peace, and for the strength to continue the pilgrimage anew. And so it's appropriate that our uh, altar table is filled with signs of gratitude and thanksgiving of God's bountiful harvest. In the end, we're all pilgrims after all. So start or revisit a gratitude journal. Try writing a simple thank you note, maybe once a week. Connect with a friend for coffee and a thankful conversation. Recommit to a practice of prayer. And let this year's Thanksgiving be not just a day of gratitude, but a springboard into a new life of gratitude, the most human and humanizing of gestures, the most graceful of all social graces. Amen.